Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for those who have previously been with us, and welcome to those who are just joining us for the first time. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. I'm Jeremy Heiner. And I'm Sass Elisha. We are two educators who are passionate about education, and we want to share our passion for education with all of you. Yeah, and in our podcast episodes, we're really going to try to talk about clinical anesthesia topics, things that you want to hear about, such as case management, issues about pharmacology, critical events, and the most up-to-date stuff in a clear and concise episode. So, get ready, take some deep breaths so you can pre-oxygenate yourself, because you guys, it's go time. We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we want to bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession. So here is our next mini management surgical procedure podcast. CRNAs and SRNAs have said to us, tell me the essential information needed to be able to manage a particular case. And we got a good one today. We're going to try to do this in a short amount of time and give you the essentials. Yeah, in 20 to 30 minutes. We know. We we also, in addition to educating CRNAs and SRNAs, we also work in the operating room. So we know that you've got very little time. We want to give you the nuts and bolts in a very concise manner. So this episode is going to be the second episode in our endocrine surgical procedures, and we're going to talk about pheochromocytoma. Last time, you may remember, we talked about thyroidectomy and the anesthetic management for that. There's going to be information for students, which is helpful, not only for clinical practice, but maybe questions that are included not only on exams at school, but also on the NCE examination. Yeah, and we'll try to highlight those areas that we think that are really important where questions may be asked. So let's get down to the essential knowledge for case management for a pheochromocytoma. All right, so let's first get into pathology related to pheochromocytoma. What is it? It's a catecholamine secreting tumor that most often originates in one adrenal gland. However, a pheochromocytoma can also occur 
outside of the adrenal gland. And when it does, most often it occurs in the abdomen. This can be one of those things that's familial and there's a genetic component. It can also be associated with something called men and that's multiple endocrine neoplasm. And so, so not necessarily with the male population, <laughs> but as, as what you were just stating. Exactly. And it's a combination of different disease states. Now, the overwhelming pathology or physiologic manifestation associated with a pheochromocytoma is catecholamine hypersecretion. And in most pheochromocytomas, that catecholamine primarily is norepinephrine and also having sympathetic nervous system predominance. The amount of epinephrine that can be excreted from a pheochromocytoma is simply amazing as, when, as compared to when you look at norms to a tumor that is a very active one. Now, knowing that overwhelmingly the physiologic problem is norepinephrine secretion and huge amounts, it makes sense as to what the signs and symptoms are and they are reflective of sympathetic nervous system predominance. So hypertension, dysrhythmias, hyperglycemia, think about all the things that are, that are signs and symptoms of sympathetic nervous system hyperactivity. Let me go back to hyperglycemia for a second. So hyperglycemia may occur preoperatively and it would be important for you to check a blood sugar. However, postoperatively, when you lose the pheochromocytoma and you lose the catecholamines, what's going to happen? The opposite of sympathetic nervous system predominance. So we're going to talk about it. The possibility related to the blood sugar is that it may be low postoperatively. However, this, there is this classic triad of, of symptoms that is associated with a pheo. And this is important for students, for tests, and for boards. Those three are palpitations, a headache, and diaphoresis and of course those three and there are a number of others that make sense related to a tremendous amount of norepinephrine being secreted and and that is specific for an awake patient so before they come to the or isn't that right sass that's right so i've kind of been talking about what happens if we know a patient has a pheochromocytoma well what about if it's undiagnosed yeah, because it can happen in anesthesia. It's rare, but what happens if you're in the OR and all of a sudden your patient goes hypertensive? Well, what's the first thing we're going to do as anesthesia providers? We're going to increase the anesthetic, right? But what are some signs and symptoms that may help us differentiate or get to the differential diagnosis of pheochromocytoma? Because i got to be honest, if a patient's hypertensive in the OR, that's not going to be the first thing that I'm thinking of. Right. When your patient becomes hypercarbic, isn't the first thing you think about MH? No? No. <laughs> not yet. i got to look at the respiratory rate, right? That's right. Okay, so what are some signs and symptoms, or what would help me differentiate pheochromocytoma from any other intraoperative problem? So let's talk about it. One of the first things we're going to say that the patient has, or one of the first things we're going to see is hypertension. So a patient goes hypertensive intraoperatively. So a patient's under anesthesia, we see a high blood pressure, let's just call it 210 over 110 in the operating room. What else might we see? Tachycardia. So again, this is a hyper secreting tumor of the sympathetic 
uh, hormones, specifically norepinephrine. So we'll see tachycardia, hypertension. We'll likely see diaphoresis while they're under anesthesia. And again, this can all mimic light anesthesia. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, you gave the uh, example of 210 over 110, severe hypertension, which we've all seen. Mm -hmm. Well, we have anesthesia to throw at it, and then we have other medications to cause vasodilation. We have medications to slow the heart rate down. Mm -hmm. We can do all of those things. But in someone with a pheochromocytoma, you can throw the anesthesia kitchen sink at it and give the other medications. When we always talk about differential, you and I, after you think that it's front shelf stuff and the interventions that usually treat front shelf stuff, in this case, hypertension, once you've done those things and those signs or symptoms continue, you have to ask yourself, what are the possibilities? Exactly. And now we're going to start getting into additional treatments, which, again, you may not know it's a pheochromocytoma, and luckily some of the additional treatments are going to help treat a potential pheochromocytoma. And we'll talk about all of those when we talk about the management for pheochromocytoma. So a couple other things when we're just setting this setting pheochromocytoma up. One other area that it may manifest. So we may not see a pheochrom an undiagnosed pheochromocytoma intraoperatively. I've read case studies where it occurs in the recovery room, in the PACU. And the intraoperative course was just fine, but then the patient went hypertensive in the PACU, and they ended up diagnosing in several of these case studies a pheochromocytoma. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. All right, so let's change gears here a little bit and go back to a known diagnosed pheochromocytoma. So preoperatively, you're gonna be doing anesthesia and they're gonna be doing an adrenalectomy to remove this pheochromocytoma. So what are some other things that we need to consider? Well, a patient who has long-standing hypertension may also have some associated manifestations of maybe a CVA or an MI. They may have a cardiomyopathy going on, some congestive heart failure. You may have to deal with some existing pulmonary edema and even some renal insufficiency. All right, so we just talked about preoperative considerations. Now, how about intraoperative considerations in terms of the surgical management for a laparoscopic adrenalectomy? Well, potential problem that could happen during this procedure, hemorrhage or maybe there's a pneumothorax. This patient or a patient who's having this type of procedure will likely be in a lateral position. So we have to think about the considerations with regards to positioning in uh, a 
lateral decubitus position. And then this is for students out there because this is a question that could be asked when we're specifically focusing on a pheochromocytoma and a laparoscopic adrenalectomy. How about when is a catecholamine surge more likely to occur? The answers would be during induction, during manipulation or resection of the tumor, and during venous ligation. All right, so now let's talk about this. We have a patient who has a known pheochromocytoma. They've been worked up by an endocrinologist, and they're going to be put on a pharmacologic cocktail prior to coming to us so that when they have those catecholamine surges, we don't have blood pressures that are sky high and out of this world. This also seems important for testing purposes. Very important. All right, so always remember, and this is probably the most important thing for a student to remember, alpha blockade before beta blockade. So A before B. So the first drug they're gonna give, remember patients vasoconstricted, nor epi, primarily secreted, they're gonna give an alpha blocker. And that alpha blocker most often is phenoxybenzamine. The reason that alpha blocker is used is because it has a very, very, very long duration of action. Okay, so phenoxybenzamine, the classic alpha blocker. After they are adequately alpha blocked, meaning that there is some vasodilation, what is gonna be prescribed next is beta blockade. The reason that it's prescribed in this order is because if you give a beta blocker first and you block beta two vasodilating effects in the vasculature, you'll have alpha predominance and you can have a patient with a hypertensive crisis. So the typical prototyp the prototypical beta blocker that is given in this instance is propranolol or indorol, of course, because it has a very long duration. And and that makes sense. And I remember those kind of questions when when I was taking boards. There was actually some questions about that. When I read some of the case studies on adrenalectomies for a pheochromocytoma, I did notice that some of the patients were receiving metoprolol or even a calcium channel blocker. Are, are those options in this, in this instance? Yeah, they are. So let's look at what we just talked about, alpha blockade and beta blockade. Works really well intraoperatively, but what happens when the tumor comes out? What happens when the amount of catecholamines are dramatically decreased? Does the alpha blockade caused by phenoxybenzamine and do the beta, does the beta blockade caused by propranol, does that all of a sudden go away? And the answer is no. So you can see very much that in PACU, these patients can have hypotension. So it's a, there's a lot of controversy. Phenoxybenzamine during intraop, they're not gonna have dramatic swings in their blood pressure. There are other alpha blockers that are not as selective for alpha receptors and have a shorter half-life like doxazacine. You mentioned metoprolol. That's a beta blocker that has intrinsic sympathomimetic activity. So maybe not as much of a depressant on the heart postoperatively, which would certainly be desirable. And then last, one other medication that can be used is called metyrosine. And metyrosine inhibits the catecholamine creation and inhibits catecholamine secretion centrally. So therefore, during a sympathetic response, the amount of catecholamines are decreased and the response is decreased, and that's what you would want. 
All right, so now that we've given, or now that the patient is on this pharmacological cocktail that you mentioned, and we're, we're aiming for alpha blockade, then beta blockade, maybe a reduction in catecholamines, what are some criteria that we're going to be looking for? So what, what kind of manifestations, what kind of blood pressures and heart rates and all that kind of stuff are we going to be looking for? And again, following with the same vein, these are questions that could be asked in any exam. So we're looking for a blood pressure less than 160 over 90 for 48 hours preoperatively. This is what's going to be in the books. Orthostatic hypotension is acceptable and actually we're kind of looking for that because that shows the adequacy of alpha blockade. There shouldn't be any uh, PVC, preventricular contraction, more than one for about five minutes. So within a five minute period, we shouldn't see any more than one PVC. And we shouldn't see any ST or T wave abnormalities for a week before surgery. So really these patients need to be on these medications well before they come for their operation. And then finally, in terms of hematocrit, we should be looking at that. And a, we're gonna be looking for a, a decrease of 5% because what this does is it reflects vasodilation and an increase in intervascular volume. Good. So let's look at monitoring now. What are these? What is going to be essential for monitoring with a patient who has a, a pheochromocytoma? So of course the standard monitors. You'd certainly want a five lead related to the EKG. Uh, the patient is absolutely going to need two IVs one for fluid and one possibly for medications. They need an A-line so that you can watch their blood pressure you know, every second. And it is possible, depending on how severe the pheochromocytoma is, and I really haven't mentioned this yet, but a pheochromocytoma can be a very mild where the amount of catecholamines secreted are very, are just slightly above normal. The physiologic manifestations are not great. Or it can be an incredibly active tumor where the amount of catecholamine is so great that all of their pressures are sky high. So in this case, you may, may consider even having a central line. And maybe this is the patient who has an associated cardiomyopathy or congestive heart failure, pulmonary edema, renal insufficiency that we talked about earlier because of the extensive hypertension and persistent hypertension that they've been experiencing. Yeah, they would be most certainly the patients that would be at highest risk for that. You're right. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. All right, so now let's talk about intraoperative hemodynamic goals because there's really two parts to this. There's before the tumor is removed and there's after the tumor is removed. So let's talk about first the goal to avoid severe intraoperative hypertension and what can we do hemodynamically? What are the hemodynamic goals here? Well, number one, this makes sense. If the patient's hypertensive, we're going to increase our depth of anesthesia. 
Our gas is going to be high. Maybe we have an associated uh, propofol drip going along with that. We'll have to likely give multimodal anesthesia, use some opioids and stuff like that. We can even add some vasodilators along with that. So consider nitroglycerin or nitroprusside infusions. And we'll likely want to get those ready before we even bring the patient into the OR. Yeah. And if we knew this patient had a FIO and they got the cocktail pre-op, that number one and number two probably should be able to take care of it perfectly well. If not, we have some other options. But if it's an undiagnosed pheochromocytoma, number one and number two that you just mentioned, increased anesthetic depth and giving a vasodilator may not be enough. So how about clivetipine? the fast-acting calcium channel blocker that you can give related to an infusion, which is perfect. You can titrate that on up or down. And, you know, if you're if the patient's hypertensive, before the tumor's out, you turn it on, you keep it high, and then you can turn it off and it goes away pretty rapidly. Another thing that you can do is magnesium sulfate. So as we know, that is a smooth muscle relaxant, will cause vasodilation you can go ahead and give the loading dose and actually also continue with an infusion many times just like we do in OB. Great. So those are some interventions for intraoperative hypertension before that tumor is removed. Now let's talk about goals to avoid severe hypotension after that pheochromocytoma tumor is removed. Well, let's turn down the anesthesia, right Sass? It's usually the way it works. It's usually the first intervention. Okay, so make sure that anesthesia is titrated down, whatever you're using, and turn off your vasodilators or titrate them down. Likely, if you're getting, if you're concerned about hypotension, you're just going to turn them off. Yeah, and um, IV fluids certainly can help. And then lastly, a vasoconstrictor. So I have down here phenylephrine is the classic one. Uh, is going to increase blood pressure. However, the negative related to phenylephrine here is, remember, we give an alpha blockade, uh, phenoxybenzamine. And where does phenylephrine work uh, in terms of the vasculature? Alpha and receptors. So your standard doses of phenylephrine may be ineffective and you may start a drip. If your phenylephrine is relatively ineffective and you're not getting that squeeze that you want to bring up the pressure, you could choose a vasopressor that doesn't work on adrenergic receptors, such as vasopressin. Perfect. So let's. there's a lot to unpack right there. Let's just summarize. So preoperatively, what do I want to have ready to combat either hypertension or hypotension? I'm going to get, I like to use a propofol drip along with my volatile agent. So I'm going to get a propofol drip ready, and I'm also going to get a vasodilator ready, whether that's a nitroglycerin drip or a nitroprusside drip, whatever your flavor is. So I'm going to have those ready. And then I might consider clavidipine. I might consider that, but I'm not always going to have that ready to go. The other one I will have ready to go is a phenylephrine drip. I'll have that ready to go to combat that post-tumor removal hypotension. Okay, when we talk about medications to avoid in a patient with a known pheochromocytoma, the first class are drugs that have sympathomimetic effects, such as desflurane, such as ephedrine, and such as ketamine. So these are drugs that probably uh, you probably should consider omitting. Next, another class of drugs are those that release histamine, such as atricurium and morphine. 
Now, we're going to also want to avoid giving anything that could, I guess, muddy the waters and that would likely cause hypertension from a different mechanism. So anything that's likely to cause a condition called neuroleptic malignant syndrome, such as metoclopramide or droperidol, these are anti-dopaminergic drugs. We probably want to avoid these just because we don't want to get hypertension from another cause. And then finally, succinylcholine is relatively contraindicated because of the fasciculations. Now, you can use succinylcholine, especially if you determine that you need to do a rapid sequence induction and you really want fast-acting paralysis. You can just pretreat with a non-depolarizing muscle relaxant to decrease the likelihood of fasciculations. Yeah, so now let's look at a scenario. Let's look at a PACU scenario. So you've taken your patient to PACU. Patient's awake but appears confused and is a little lethargic. The blood pressure is 80 over 48. The saturation is 89% on 6 liters O2 face mask. And the temperature is 35.5 Celsius. So what would you do? How do you figure this out? What would you order in order to resolve this situation? Yeah, and, and I like this scenario. So here we've got a hypotensive patient, someone who's not necessarily ventilating very well. They're kind of on the cold side here as well. So we're talking differential diagnosis here, right? So what, what could be the, the issues? But really, what are we going to do right off the bat? We're going to manage this, right? We want that blood pressure up. We want that saturation up. So let's look at how they're breathing. Let's evaluate that. And let's make sure the pulse ox is working correctly. And let's make sure that the pulse ox is on the finger correctly. We can listen to the lungs. Let's make sure that a pneumothorax has not occurred. Remember, that was a potential complication of this procedure. Recheck the blood pressure, and we do that. We almost, we, we almost do it without even thinking about it. We can increase our IV fluids. We mentioned that as a post-tumor resection intervention. And we probably need to start a vasopressor on this patient. What do you think, Sass? Yeah. So you mentioned the blood pressure. The blood pressure could be low from the preoperative medications. The blood pressure could be low because he's bleeding. The blood pressure could be low if he had poor cardiac function pre-op. Um, Post-op, it's not going to be much better. So there are some differentials for that. You mentioned the saturation. Is he taking deep breaths? Does he have a pneumo? Um, is, the is the pulse oximeter probe on right? Good. I don't know if you talked about, but with a blood pressure of 80 over 48, it says here he's confused and lethargic, which would make sense. However, could it be the blood pressure? Yes. Or could it be something else, such as a blood glucose? Remember, we talked about the possibility of being hypoglycemic post-op. That's always such a simple one, and but so easily missed. Yeah. So what are you going to get for labs? So an H&H &H would be important. Certainly your blood sugar, as we talked about, and electrolytes. Now, one other diagnose, differential diagnosis in terms of a patient who is confused, maybe lethargic, and not necessarily related to blood pressure, we never mentioned how old this patient is and whether they had any preoperative cognitive dysfunction, and now maybe they have some postoperative cognitive dysfunction. Did they get a lot of Versed right up front? So these are some, some things that we can consider. In terms of other labs or tests that we should be doing, EKG. We got to get an EKG. 
Um, we should get a chest x-ray and a cardiac echo. It may be what they need just to figure out if the heart function is adequate. Yeah, and post-operative complications. We've already talked about a number of them, but I'm just going to list them for you. So hemorrhage, hypertension from residual pheochromocytoma tissue, probably more likely hypotension from the prolonged alpha and beta blockade, hypoglycemia. If the patient's renal function was poor to begin with, the possibility of acute renal failure postoperatively, and in any procedure, the possibility of developing sepsis. Okay, fantastic. That is it. Here's the power-packed episode for anesthesia management for a pheochromocytoma. Now, remember, anyone listening to this, specifically CRNAs who are listening to this, you can earn Class B credits for listening to Beyond the Mask podcast. Yeah, and if you like what you heard, please help us grow and considering leaving us a five-star review and writing a review, telling us how we're doing and telling us about what you may want to hear about in the future. Yeah, word of mouth is really how this podcast grows. It helps other people find the show and we really do look at people's ideas and suggestions and we want to hear them. All right, CRNA Nation. That is it for this episode. Remember, keep ventilating, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.